Welcome back to the Tac Talks podcast, where every week we talk about of the game and for the game of football. In today's episode, basically, I'll be going to be going over a few of the games that took place yesterday, that, be, that being Saturday in the top five leagues. And mainly the games I'm going to be going over are the Arsenal-Liverpool game, the Real Madrid-Ibar, Ibar, I don't know how to pronounce the name anyway, the Real Madrid-Ibar game, that's how I'm going to pronounce it from now on. And the Bayern Munich-Leipzig game, or rather the Leipzig-Bayern Munich game. And just to put one thing aside to clear, clear, clear one, something up, I will not be going over the Leicester City-Manchester City game because it just so happened that that game was taking place at the same time as the, the Leipzig-Bayern Munich game. So I did not have a chance to watch it. For that reason, I'm not going to analyse a game that I did not watch. It wouldn't make sense. Based on that, I won't be reviewing that game, just to clear the air about that. So, let's start off first by talking about the game between Arsenal and Liverpool that took place at the Emirates. In terms of performance, Liverpool were extremely convincing in the way they played, on the ball, against the ball, really good. But one thing that I want to criticise them for is that it took them too long to score. And Jurgen Klopp had to bring on an extra attacker to break the deadlock. It doesn't, it doesn't seem really convincing. There were a lot of chances that were fluffed. We saw Mohamed Salah miss several easy chances. And that's really not good enough. Especially when you're coming up against uh, Real Madrid in the Champions League. You need to know how to take your chances. Because we know that in the Champions League, missing a single chance can cost you an entire tie. So in order for Liverpool to get as far as possible in that competition, they can't be missing chances regularly. They need to be, know how to take their chances and convert, convert them as efficiently as possible. For that reason, I believe that in terms of creative chances, they were okay, but they need to know how to convert chances more frequently. Because like I said, they may have seen other chances uh, come up against a team like Arsenal, but when they come up against Real Madrid, they might not see s such a flurry of chances. So if they miss one chance, they might not see a similar chance again. That's just my personal opinion. Because no, every, like everyone can agree that Real Madrid are a more complete team than Arsenal at the moment. So that's just one point to make. In terms of overall performance, Liverpool were quite good. They were very convincing. They managed to beat Arsenal's press many a time. Arsenal tried to press in a 4-4-2, press on triggers, sometimes pressed quite high, reasonably high. But Liverpool did well to break their press. They used Alisson as an extra man. His distribution was exceptional on the day. They were playing, they were playing really well in terms of beating the press and moving up with the ball. Klopp's adjustments were on point as well. The fact they took off Robertson for... I don't know why he, he took off Robertson specifically, but what he did with that 
was he brought on an extra attacker in Diego Jota, converted to more of a 4-2-3-1 shape. James Milner filled in as left back. So then you'd had sort of a 4-2-3-1, 4-2-4 shape that helped Liverpool add uh, in attack. It bolstered the attack by adding an extra player in attack. That way they broke the deadlock. If we remember, it was Diego Jota who scored the opener. And then after that, they sort of ran riot a bit on Arsenal. Mohamed Salah capitalised on a defensive error by Gabriel to score the second. And one thing I want to mention, one thing I just want to mention regarding the second goal was that a golden rule for defenders, and it's a standard for any defender, stay on your feet, do not lunge into a slide tackle or do not lunge in unless you're 100% sure that you're going to get all of the ball. And that is ex the complete opposite of what Gabriel did. He lunged in, he didn't get any of the ball, barely got any of the ball. And the, it's just the, the, the logic behind it. Because when a defender slides into a tackle, basically, it takes them time to get back up. And those precious seconds could be then used by the attacker or the opponent in the duel to gain an advantage because then they can just take the ball and dribble past as the defender's getting back onto their feet or onto his feet. So that's basically what happened. Gabriel lunged in, didn't get barely got any of the ball. Salah just dribbled past him and managed to like squeeze it in, squeeze it past the goalkeeper into the goal. So that's just one point. I didn't like the first two goals were comedy goals to be honest. They were they, they were pure they were goals made made out of errors. The first goal, Diego Jota, I've got to admit, it was good positioning to uh, in the in the gap between the ball far fullback and centre back. But again, the delivery from Alexander Arnold was brilliant. I still can't believe how he's been snubbed for England or how he was snubbed for England. The delivery was on point, and Jota was excellent with the conversion. But at the same time, a lack of communication between the Arsenal defenders made it so much easier for him, you know? And you've only got one player in the box, one player to mark. And, you, and like, if Arsenal defenders can't do that properly, then I don't know what to say, to be honest. Like, the, from what we saw today, those two goals are not goals of a top six team, you know? And that's not me singling out Arsenal because I'm a Spurs fan. This is me talking objectively. It's not good enough for a team of the calibre of Arsenal, top six team, to concede that way. They've got to do better. I think Gabriel had one of the worst games in terms of defending so far uh, at Arsenal. Again, I don't mean that he's a bad defender. He's one of the better defenders at Arsenal, but today he just it just wasn't his best day. In terms of... Arsenal and their performance, I believe that against the ball, they weren't as bad. They were okay. But my major issue with Arsenal was when they had the ball, when they won the ball. There wasn't enough attacking outlet to capitalise on winning the ball back. What I mean by this is once they won the ball back, they didn't really know what to do with it. There was a lot of negative passing, passing backwards. And that basically just helped Liverpool reorganise themselves into a defensive structure or maybe reorganise their pressing system. You know, it just made it easier for Liverpool to defend. Uh, the strikers, the attackers were sort of isolated. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot being 
played into them. There was a lot of uh, uh, the ball playing, uh, like I said, being played into them, whether it be Aubameyang, Nicolas Pepe, or Alexandre Lacazette. There wasn't a lot of effort from them. Maybe Lacazette tried to drop sometimes to like show himself towards the ball. Uh, Pepe did the same. But the thing is that these players, especially Aubameyang, Nicolas Pepe, they're much better when the ball's played in behind for them. You know, especially Aubameyang with his pace. And Pepe's exceptional in transitions with his 1v1 dribbling ability. He's really skillful. He's a press-resistant player. So maybe Arsenal could have used that to their advantage. But again, we did not see that today. There was Again, there was a... No there was not enough attacking outlet in terms of once Arsenal won the ball back, they wanted to transition quickly, catch Liverpool on the break. We didn't see that. Maybe that came as well as a result of Liverpool's excellent defensive transition, maybe, but still not good enough from Arsenal, uh, considering the calibre of players they've got up front. Even Odegaard did not have the best of days today. So... Yeah, everything turned out uh, turned out in Liverpool's favour. Uh, after they scored the two goals, Klopp took off Firmino and he brought on a midfielder in Wijnaldum. They went back to a 4-3-3. They defended a little bit deeper in a 4-5-1 to maintain the result. They managed, according to what I remember, they managed to score the third goal after that. Jota scored an, an extra goal and that sort of uh, settled it. Arsenal, towards the end, still try to press high. Maybe, I don't know, grab a consolation goal or whatnot. But they were still pressing high, still making an effort. But still, Liverpool were managing to bypass their press. Sometimes if they, I don't know, if they lost it, they were still on top. Liverpool won most of the second balls in the game. So, yeah, it just goes to show how much effort Liverpool made into making sure they won their duels, whereas Arsenal weren't really up for that perspective. From that perspective, they weren't really up for it compared to the Liverpool players. So I think that basically made the difference between the two teams. Moving on from there, we're going to talk about the second game, and that is the game between RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich. And this was sort of I wouldn't say it was a title decider, but it was a decider as to whether Leipzig would be competing with Bayern for the title. A win for Bayern would mean that Bayern would now be seven points clear at the top of the Bundesliga table, whereas a win for Leipzig would mean that they would reduce the deficit, I assume, to one point, I think. I'm not too sure about that. I may have to check the standings again, but either way... Let me just check that real quick. Just want to make sure. So after the win today, like I said, yes, Bayern are seven points clear. If Leipzig would have would have won that game, they would be one point adrift of Bayern. But as we all know, Bayern managed to find a way to win this with a lot of absentees in in their squad. Key players like Lewandowski, like Nabry didn't start the game. Um, at the back, Boateng was missing, uh, Davies at left back, Pavar had come back, which was a plus, but still it wasn't a complete buying squad, especially with Chupon Motang starting up front. It's a massive, it's a massive uh, 
difference between, uh, from having Lewandowski up front. That's no disrespect to Chubu Motang, but Lewandowski is the best player in the world at the moment, or the best striker in the world, even. And that's not even an that's not even a debate. Based on that, on the other hand, Leipzig had most mainly a complete squad. They weren't missing key players. They set up as they normally do, except they didn't start with a proper striker. They started with Forsberg up front. Um, the, the, the standards, the standard players, the regular players for Nagelsmann started like Olmo, like Nkunku, um, who else, like Adams, like Haidara, Mukiele, Upamecano started against his future club, Orban, who else was there, I'm just trying to remember, the left back, who was the left back, Klosterman, I don't know if I missed anyone, anyway, uh, Sabitzer, the captain, also being linked with a move away from Leipzig. Anyway, now let's talk about the systems. Bayern Munich started off as usual in their 4-2-3-1. But one thing that we, that was quite surprising in this game is the fact that Bayern were actually the ones that were being more conservative for most of the game. They would, they would drop back and rely more on transition plays, especially on uh, with players like Komen and Sane that would try and release these two players to like engage in 1v1 duels, but still Leipzig managed to, to snuff these uh, snuff these potential uh, opportunities out. They they like they managed to contain these two players, whether it be Komen or Sonny, they managed to contain them for most of the game and uh, clear the danger away away from the space in front of their goal or away from their goal. And that brings me back to Leipzig and their setup. Leipzig mainly set up, I'd say, in a sort of a 4-2-3-1 on paper. But it mainly became a 4-4-2 diamond against the ball. And that's where they really impressed me. It was their work against the ball. They were so good at winning the ball back. Second balls for most of the game. They controlled the tempo. The, the tempo. They didn't allow Bayern to control the ball a lot. To, like, dictate... Like I said, the tempo of the game, it was mainly controlled by the RB Leipzig players. They were so good at winning the ball back as soon as they lost it. Their defensive transition was on point. Any long balls played in behind were like were contained by the RB Leipzig defenders. Extremely flexible rotations and movements. Uh, like I said, they had a certain system for when they were on the ball compared to, and a completely different system when they were off the ball. Uh, they were very narrow against the ball. They would all, the whole structure would move to one side. And if the switch happened, they would all again move to the other side. That's a characteristic, a very notable characteristic of a Nagelsmann side is how narrow they are defensively. They would all go towards the ball side, very ball orientated when they're pressing or when they're against the ball when they're lined up against the ball. Uh, like I said, again, a lot of flexibility in player roles. Many a time we saw Klosterman not stay back, in the, despite the fact that normally we would see him in a more uh, conservative role. He would stay back and allow Mukiele possibly to be the marauding fullback. But no, Klosterman, we would see many a time also maraud forward and overlap. Uh, Haidara would mainly concentrate on working on the left side. Adams would do the same, but on the right side, Sabitzer would be that pivot in the middle, 
there would be sometimes a rotation where Sabitzer moves to the right and Adams would uh, be the central pivot or the central number six. Olmo also would drift towards the right channel work there. And Kunku would, would work mainly on the left and you'd have Forsberg up top. And like I said, Leipzig were actually really good in this game. And compared to their previous game against Bayern, they were much more dominant. If anyone remembers the last game they played against Bayern, they, where they drew three all, it was actually Leipzig that were relying on transitions and quick plays to catch Bayern on the break. But that was actually when Bayern had a complete squad. In this game, Leipzig were always on the front foot. They were trying to dictate everything that happened. They had most of the ball. But one thing I criticised them for is the fact that they did not convert their chances. The same point that went for Liverpool, I'm going to go for Leipzig as well. They did not convert their chances enough. They, were, they had so many chances in front of goal and they fluffed them, which is not something that you want from a team that is supposedly competing for the title. It's not good enough. And I understand maybe there isn't enough experience in the team in order for them to be able to capitalise on such decisive moments compared to a team with so much experience like Bayern having won the treble last season, having won, I think, six trophies last season. They know how to capitalise on such decisive moments. And we saw it in this game. They barely had, Bayern were not the, in their usual dominant self. But when they were given the opportunity to score, they took it. They took it the single time, I'd say, in this game where Leipzig completely switched off and there was a complete lack of focus. Bayern managed to score from it. It was basically where Muller played that back pass. Goretzka just managed to get onto the ball unmarked. I don't know what Leipzig's midfielders were doing and he just converted it into the goal. The single time where Leipzig had a lapse of concentration, Bayern took advantage of it and scored. But the many times where Leipzig were afforded the opportunity in front of goal, they fluffed it. And that is not, again, that is something that is not acceptable from a side that wants to compete for the title. And personally, and personally I was looking, I was so looking forward to this game because I thought it'd be much more entertaining in terms of goals sc goal scored and in terms of um, attack because like one should know that both sides are extremely potent in attacking prowess but it was the exact opposite all we saw today was a lot of miss chances missed and not enough chances converted especially from Leipzig who were the more dominant side I want, I'd like to give credit to Nagelsmann's system and his game plan. It really worked, but all that was missing, as he mentioned in his post-match interview, was the fact that they did not convert their chances. So that was the only uh, missing piece of the puzzle for the game plan to work. Because you could have the best game plan and you could be outclassing and, out, and outplaying your opponent. But if you do not score the goals to complement your dominant style of play, then best do with it without it you know if you can like not hold on to the ball and have about 20% of possession but you're scoring goals then I'd go with that approach 
I'd like, like just to mention a quick note on the Chelsea-West Brom game, right? Even after they went down to 10 men, Chelsea still wanted to keep the ball. They still wanted to keep the ball and they wanted to dictate the play. And West Brom barely had any of the ball, but you can see that West Brom scored five goals and Chelsea barely scored two. So it's always about going for the approach that gets you goals. Anyway, point is that Leipzig did not, despite the fact that they penetrated Bayern, they managed to get in front of their goal, they did not convert their chances. And that's what matters in football, it's the goals. It's not how dominant you were, it's not how many chances you were given or how many chances you created. It's the ability to create these chances. And it wasn't done enough today. But I do want to credit Leipzig. They have an excellent, exceptional team with a with an abnormal flexibility in terms of player positioning and player roles. Like if I wanted to go over the changes and the substitutions that took place in today's game, like it's 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 baffling to be honest. It's mind blowing. Like let me just give it a go. Trying to remember every single sub that Leipzig made. According to what I remember, first things first, they took off Forsberg and they brought on, who did they bring on? I'm trying to remember. They took off Forsberg and I think they brought on Justin Clivert. They put, they took just, they brought Justin Clivert on and pushed him onto the right wing. At that point, I think it was Nkunku who was up top. Then after that, they brought on uh, Paulson as the striker. Nkunku became the number 10. They took off Olmo. And they also brought on, according to what I remember, it was Sorloth. They put Sorloth on the left. They put Sorloth on the left. And who else did they take off? I'm trying to remember. They took off Olmo and they took off Hydara. That's it. And they brought on Sorloth on the left and Paulson up top. Then after that, they took off Adams. They took off a midfielder and they brought on an extra attacker in Huang. I think they then put Huang on the left and they used a double striker system with Sorloth and Paulson up top and Kunku in behind and Clivert on the right. Then when Paulson got injured, they brought on Konate as the third centre-back and that allowed Klosterman, the left-back, to push very high up like Mukiele was doing and not be more conservative. So the, the point is that, like I said, they're very, very flexible in terms of player positioning. So, and formations and systems are irrelevant to them. So it's it's really inspiring what Nagelsmann's doing with Leipzig. He's he's my favorite manager at the moment and he's such an entertainment there's such an entertaining side but in order this is something that takes me back to when uh, to Mauricio Pochettino's Tottenham side in 2015-16. It's that you can be playing the most entertaining most attractive football but when it comes to a result that is that decides your season 
or is the most decisive out of them all, you have to be able to deliver. You have to be able to convert chances. And that's something that Spurs miss, were missing back then. And it's something that Leipzig miss right now. Hopefully they can get over that. They still have a chance to win a trophy this season in the DFB Pokal with Bayern knocked out. Let's hope they can make the most of that chance. They're one of the better sides left in the competition. We saw Dortmund aren't doing so well. They're struggling at the moment, especially with defensive frailties. I'd say Leipzig are the most complete side left in the competition. So let's hope they can make the most of the opportunity and possibly win a trophy and kickstart um, kick the winning process for the club. The final game I want to talk about is the game between Real Madrid and Ibar. I already mentioned that I'm going to pronounce it that way. Anyway, so the reason I wanted to go to go over this game is, first of all, because we've got a really interesting tie coming up between Real Madrid and Liverpool. And I just wanted to provide an update on how both teams are getting on in their respective leagues. But also, I want to give a little side note on Ibar and the relevance behind this team. For a certain period, I don't know if the statistic still applies, but actually Ibar was statistically proven to be one of the most intense pressing teams in the top five leagues. They were actually number one in terms of pressing intensity, statistically speaking. Now that may be a little ironic, I'd say, or, or contra I wouldn't say controversial. I don't know what the word is. Anyway, it may be a little weird to see Ibar being called the, or statistically, the most intense pressing side, considering their position. They're a relegation. They're they're battling to, for survival at the moment. They're in the rele they're in the relegation spots. But the thing is that Ibar, despite the fact that they're actually really good at pressing, they're equally as bad in on the ball. Like when they win the ball, they don't know what to do with it. There isn't enough cohesion. And that's proven or it's actually shown by the fact that they have the joint least number of goals scored in the league this season, which is 22. I, I checked it. You can look it up. They've only scored 22 league goals this season. Their main issue is with scoring goals. If they manage to overcome that barrier, that obstacle in a way, and there's a little bit more co cohesion to complement their their efficient pressing system, then they could be a force to reckon with. They could even compete for Europa League places. That's to say the minimum of it. But again, their main issue is when they work on the ball. And that showed in the game against Real Madrid. Whenever they won the ball, they didn't really create much with the ball. They did win the ball a lot of times, and there were certain times where they pressed Real Madrid really high, especially in the second half when they were training. But again, the problem with them is that they, when, once they win the ball, they, they don't know how to create. They don't know how to create proper chances and reach the opposition's goal. Normally, Ibar set up in a 4-4-2-4-2-3-1 system. Surprisingly enough, in this game, for some reason, their manager went for a 4-3-3 system, which was a first, but in the second half, he reverted back to a 4-2-3-1 and eventually a 4-4-2. He brought on an extra striker to go back to the 4-4-2 system when his side were trading. So he wanted to press Real Madrid and force them into making mistakes, especially in the second half when they were tiring out. 
he four of it, four out of his five substitutions were made in the front line in the pressing in the first two pressing lines of his uh, 433 or 4231 or 442 he wanted to bring on fresh legs so that they could pre so that, that they could press madrid's uh, build up structure on the front foot and many a time it worked they actually forced real madrid into errors but again the main issue is that once they won the ball both Real Madrid's defensive transition, which was extremely good in this game, and also their inability to be cohesive on the ball between their players, that also played a major role in the fact that they, they didn't manage to score any goals. Real Madrid, on the other hand, were really good. They managed to capitalise on attacking transitions as soon as they won the ball they'd instantly look to play forward that was shown in the first and second goal the first goal where an Ibar midfielder just won the ball I think it was it was Diop who just won the ball and he was trying to find a pass through it was intercepted I don't remember by whom I think it was intercepted by a certain midfielder it might have been Casemiro he played the ball instantly through to Asensio who was already positioned in a gap between two defenders in the Ibar back line uh, that's logical enough considering that Ibar had just won the ball so they were looking to come out of their defensive structure and sort of expand a bit, stretch the pitch a bit to to um, convert to their attacking structure but Real Madrid won the ball back instantly Asensio was already in a gap in an excellent position to receive he was played through and you know you can't afford a chance uh, a chance like that to Asensio because you know he's probably going to convert it and that's exactly what he did Second half, Vinicius Jr. came on alongside Rodrigo. There was a lot of rotation by Real Madrid. They, they, maybe they were resting certain players for the Champions League tie on Tuesday. We saw even Benzema come off at the end uh, after he'd scored. And Mariano Diaz came on. Uh, also, according to what I remember, I'm just trying to remember, he was also taken off. I think Asensio was taken off eventually. Uh, Isco was taken off as well. I'm not sure if his goal was taken off. I remember Modric was taken off. Cruz was brought on. There was even a chance afforded to a 19-year-old youngster, the number 30. I forget his name. Begins with A. I'm not going to look it up now. But there, like I said, there was a lot of rotation in Real Madrid's personnel, and that's t that's obviously logical considering the tough fixtures that they have coming up. They can't afford any more injuries. The two legs against Liverpool and the Clasico next weekend. So on that note, I want, do want to praise Zidane and his game plan coming into this game. I assume he'd expected Ibar to start in a 4-4-2. So that maybe that was the reason why he went for back three. We know that Zidane is very tactical, uh, tactically flexible in terms of systems and he's very opponent-oriented. He bases his system on his player availability. That's the first thing. And the second thing on the opponent's system Seen as Abel pressed with two strikers, it might have been one of the reasons why he started off in a back three, to have plus one in the back line. And it worked, even, even if it wasn't needed, because we, because Ibar spent most of the game pressing in a 4-3-3. In a anyway, uh, we saw an interesting rotation happen in this back three because one mustn't forget that one of the centre-backs was actually originally a left-back and that is Ferlan Mendy. So one thing that would happen is many a time it would be Modric that would drop into the back line and in that instant it would allow Ferlan Mendy to sometimes underlap 
underlap and push up into midfield, maybe in attack, considering he's a left back and he can do that initially. He's used to doing that and Modric would be covering him behind. There was a lot of movement off the ball. Sometimes Isco would move out wide, sometimes he would stay inside. The same would happen on the other side. When Vinicius came in, we saw that he would stay out wide and there would be that, like we said, that underlap by Mendy at many a time. And Marcelo and his uh, contributions today, and excellent, many, he delivered excellent crosses into the box. I think one of them was was uh, counted as offside. It wasn't counted as a goal by VAR, but still he put on an excellent performance. And his work as a left wing back, I think, suits him a lot because it takes away some of his defensive responsibilities. So it frees him sort of as he uh, frees his ability to maraud forward. The same goes for Lucas Vasquez, who's initially a winger by trade. He's just playing as a right wing back at the moment because there's a lack of options with Carvajal injured or maybe being rested. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about his situation. But anyway, it was a, it was a decent performance by Real Madrid. They weren't really troubled by Ibar. Um, many a time they managed to bypass Ibar's press, but also there were certain times where they sort of struggled. They were forced into mistakes. That's not that's something Zidane will be looking at, especially coming coming up against a side as intense as Liverpool's. We know that Liverpool love to press high when they afforded the opportunity to do so. So it was a good test, I'd say, for the Real Madrid players to come up against a side like Ibar. One must mention, though, that Ibar at the start of the game weren't pressing as intensely. They sort of start off in the middle of the pitch and then press on certain triggers. But still, towards the end of the game, when they were trailing, they had to press high to try and get a goal back. And at that point, we still saw Real Madrid maintain control of the game. They weren't really threatened a lot by Ibar or their attacks. But then again, one has to take into account the levels, the difference in levels between Ibar's attack and Liverpool's attack. Even, even at the moment, we still see a, there's a lot of potency in Liverpool's attack in terms of their attacking options, whether it be Firmino, Mane, Salah or Jota. They've still got really good options in attack and that they could hurt Real Madrid. So there's a lot to look forward to, to be honest, this week in the Champions League ties. It's going to be really interesting, as I've mentioned in my previous episode, where I looked at the different teams left in the Champions League and the way they play and how one team might look to hurt or might look to hinder the opposition, their opposition style. But one thing I want to mention as well is that it's not as easygoing a team or a a match might not be as easygoing or as predictable as one might assume, because as we saw a really evident, a really evident game that proved that was the Chelsea West Brom game. We saw at the beginning before Chelsea, uh, before Thiago, Thiago Silva got got sent off, we saw Chelsea was sort of uh, on the front foot. They were trying to keep the ball and all that. But then once Thiago Silva sent off, the entire match was turned on its it was turned on its head. We saw West Brom were the ones on the front foot, even without their share, even with the lesser share of the ball. Every single transition that they made would 
lead to a dangerous chance or a goal scored. And we saw the result at the very end. So what I'm trying to say is that a single, single factor could make a difference in a game, especially in a knockout tie like in the Champions League games. So there's a lot to look forward to. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode. And just before I go, I want to say a massive thank you to my boy Chris, a massive shout out to him for, for creating uh, my new intro. I don't know if anyone noticed it, the intro at the beginning for uh, the episodes from now on. If you want to check out some of Chris's work, you could go to his Instagram uh, at the username Beijun, that's spelled B-A-I-I-J-O-U-N-E. Check out some of his work. Again, massive thanks to you, Chris, for your efforts into making into making the intro. Uh, all your support is appreciated. And yeah, uh, crack on and we'll see you in the next one.